Welcome to Songcraft. I'm Scott B. Bomar. And I'm Paul Duncan. Songcraft is the show that brings you in-depth conversations with the creators of great songs, from the ones you know and love to the ones you should know. Be sure to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit us at songcraftshow.com. You're listening to Cool Love, as written and recorded by our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Wanda Jackson. The pioneering female artist and celebrated queen of rockabilly landed more than 30 songs on the Billboard charts between 1954 and 1974. These include the self-penned singles Right or Wrong and In the Middle of a Heartache, two top ten hits which proved to be Jackson's most successful records as a solo artist. Beginning her career as a pure country singer, Wanda's debut single was a duet with Billy Gray called You Can't Have My Love. Released on Decca Records, the song hit number eight on the country chart in 1954. She later switched to the Capitol label, where she was encouraged by then-boyfriend and tour mate Elvis Presley to embrace rockabilly. Facing a lack of female-oriented material in the genre, Wanda penned her own songs, including the rockabilly standards Mean Mean Man, Rock Your Baby, the aforementioned Cool Love, and Baby Loves Him, each of which was released as a single on Capitol Records and later appeared on her classic Rockin' with Wanda LP. Additionally, she penned top ten hits for other artists, including Bobby Lord's Without Your Love in 1956, Buck Owens' Kickin' Our Hearts Around in 1962, and Ronnie Dove's revival of Right or Wrong in 1964. Jackson is a BMI Performance Award winner, multiple Grammy nominee, and a member of the International Rockabilly Hall of Fame. She was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2009. Well, once again, we have an interview where you're flying solo. I wish I could have been there with you guys, but uh, it wasn't this time. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of rare that we have the, the Songcraft episode where one of us has to, uh, to do it alone. I know yeah. you did the Seth Mosley interview I wasn't able to be at, and uh, I did the, the Donovan uh, interview and and here we are yet again. Yeah, uh, which I have to say, it's not as fun without you. Yeah, let's let's not make it a habit. Yeah, yeah. But um, I was in Oklahoma City. Yeah, and uh, got the opportunity to go to Wanda Jackson's home and to uh, speak with her uh, for Songcraft. And um, and I gotta say, actually, I want our audience to know, and I know you probably uh, don't want me bringing this up because you know I don't want to embarrass you because you're a humble guy. But you and I, you're humble, right? I'm so humble. So humble. Um, you were actually in Nashville yeah. when I was in Oklahoma, um, and you were there writing songs uh, and and taking care of business, doing your Paul Duncan thing. Right. Um, <laughs> but it was pretty important for you to be in Nashville at this particular time because you actually got a gold record presented to you. I did. When you were in town. Yeah. I, Which it, is amazing. It's one of those things as a musician and, and writer coming up, you know, you, you want it to happen, but you, you kind of never think it will. Right, right. So um, Lauren Daigle. Lauren Daigle. Number one Christian album. Yeah. Um, top 40 on the general Billboard album charts also. Yeah. Um, you wrote on two songs on album. Yeah. Three, I think, if you count the deluxe version. Right? Yeah, but I mean, who's counting, right? Yeah, who's counting? Right, right. But technically, but yes. technically three. Yeah, uh, and hugely popular artist in the in the Christian music world. Yeah, um, and you got to be a part of that, which is really great. And what's very cool to me, I have to confess, my bucket list. I've always hoped that I would be awarded a gold or platinum record for something, for some sort of participation right. in some project one day. Right. And 
I thought, you know, that's not even a viable dream anymore because nobody buys albums anymore. You have to sell 500,000 copies right. of an album to get a gold record, and you did it. It is pretty crazy, man. I, I have to say, you know, that I am humbled by it um, and super honored to be a part of that project. Um, and a, as far as your dreams go, I mean, right now, you do have that Grammy nomination to keep you warm at night. and I do. So and, I, it, and it keeps me so warm. Yeah. So uh, I'm actually just trying to trying to keep up with the pace of achievement being set here at Songcraft headquarters by you. Yeah, well, if you want to switch uh, and, and hang my uh, I got nominated for a Grammy on the wall versus, hey, I actually did something and uh, and and got a gold record. That's it's pretty cool, man. So congratulations. Well, thank you very much. And you did do something. You interviewed Wanda Jackson, which. Yeah. Another bucket list thing. I, I think we Definitely. might have to say, right. Huge legend. Um, member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, yeah. absolute rock and roll pioneer, female rock and roll pioneer for yeah. sure. I mean, she was doing stuff that no girls were doing back in the day. Huge groundbreaker. Yep. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was really cool uh, just to to be with Wanda, to hang out with her, to uh, to get the chance to have this interview. And, um, you know, the thing that struck me about Wanda um, is she has this reputation as being this sort of um, hard driving, take no prisoners, break right. all the rules, feminist icon of rock and roll. Right. But, you know, Wanda is really, it's very important to her that, that people know and, and that she conducted herself as a lady Absolutely. at all times. Yeah. And she was a, a, a classy woman, still is a classy woman. Um, and, you know, she's sort of gotten this reputation as this wild girl. And, and she always says, well, it's okay to, to have some fun, cut loose, but you have to be a lady about right. it. You know, and that's kind of uh, her, her theme, which I think is interesting. But the other thing that's interesting is she actually was always kind of surrounded by men in mm. her um, career. Her father was kind of her manager and um, driver when she was touring back in the 50s. So she was on the road with Elvis, who right. was actually her boyfriend at one time. Fascinating. Um, yeah, amazing. <laughs> um, she was on the road with Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, but her dad kind of kept her from the shenanigans, yeah. you know, so having her dad there... Um, then when she was making those rockabilly singles at Capitol Records, she was kind of under the tutelage of Ken Nelson, who's mm. a, a famous uh, A&R guy and producer, best known for working with Buck Owens and Merle Haggard and Gene Vincent and, and a bunch of others. Um, and once she got married to her husband, Wendell, he kind of stepped in and took over the role that, that her dad had taken yeah. and became her manager, and they became a true kind of partnership so it's sort of interesting to me the the kind of public image versus reality thing of she has no bones about being you know saying yeah I was a strong woman and right. I and I broke ground and I broke the mold and I did new things but I also had these important men in my life who were, were working with me and the way that she sort of acknowledges that it takes nothing away from her achievements because she was partnering with these guys you know in a way right. to sort of make these dreams a reality and in the time in which she was breaking this ground that was kind of the only way you even could do it well I, it's it takes a village right <laughs> i've heard that said <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah no it, it it's a good point that uh, i think all great careers take contributions from friends, family, mentors, right. and uh, Wanda for being uh, sort of such an icon of individuality. Um, yeah, it really did represent the work of a lot of a lot of uh, strong and talented people as well. Yeah, it's a reminder that that no one can really ever completely 
uh, do it alone. So you keep that in mind when that gold record is hanging <laughs> on your wall that, uh, you know, you still need the little people like me in your life. Yeah, well, I don't even know if I know how to hang it alone. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that Actually, goes. Actually, I was quite reminded that I needed you in my life while I was talking to Wanda because you are more of the technical guy of the two of us. <laughs> and I, I could have stood to know things like, hey, don't set your cell phone next to the microphone yeah. while you're interviewing people. So I want to apologize in advance that if you hear some uh, sort of high-pitched uh, technological Whining. noise that's just is yeah. kind of annoying in this interview. Uh, that's that's my bad. Totally my bad. That's one important guy whose phone just keeps blowing up all the that's way through. Right. The I can't that's help it, man. Is. Popular. Well, let's hear from the uh, very important Wanda Jackson. Absolutely. Wanda, welcome to Songcraft. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you thinking of me. Yeah, well, it's great <laughs> to be here uh, with you in Oklahoma City in your beautiful home, and thanks for welcoming me. Well, you're, you're most welcome. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, you have been called the, the queen of rockabilly and the, the first lady of rock and roll. Um, you were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in, in 2009, so um, Wanda Jackson, the world uh, knows as a rocker, but uh, <laughs> what were your earliest musical influences as a child? Well, it was um, strictly country music. Hmm. And uh, in the very beginning, let's say in the early 50s, it was known as hillbilly music. Right, yeah. And boy, that always just upset me. Hmm. I didn't like hillbilly. Yeah. (laughs) Then it was country and western. Right. And... Then they drop that. Um, people get have gotten in too big a hurry. They can't <laughs> say much. So now we're just country. Just country. <laughs> and Clean just and rock. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, I was influenced by the early hillbilly singers. Um, Hank Williams mm-hmm. was a big influence. And Hank Thompson has always been like my favorite. I just... Yeah. Uh, esteem him very highly. And even before that, I understand that your your parents had kind of introduced you to to some music. Uh, I think you guys had, had spent some time maybe out in California, and, and what what did you sort of pick up out there in terms of music? Um, well, that would have been uh, Western Swing, Yeah, I guess it was called. Uh, I lived in California, or my parents and I. I'm an only child. Mm. Um, Me too. So you too. I understand your right. <laughs> your I plight. like it. I hope yeah, you did. <laughs> I did. I enjoyed it. You get all the attention. <laughs> all the attention. Um, so I had was smothered with a lot of love. We all in just loved living in California. Mm-hmm. And even though I was five, six, seven, eight, and nine years old. I remember a lot about it, and every weekend uh, they'd go to some dance, mm-hmm. and they took me. They didn't ever use babysitters, <laughs> and uh, Mother said she never had to worry about where I was. I was right down in front of the bandstand looking up <laughs> all night long, Right, but I had the opportunity to hear the big bands. Uh, Bob Wills and the mm-hmm. Texas Playboys sure. was out there a lot. 
and California was accepting this music. Right. Where probably back east, they hadn't uh, really accepted it yet. Uh, they weren't ready. No, they weren't <laughs> ready. Yes. I say we Westerners were ahead, you know, right. of them. <laughs> right. Uh, and let's see, the other ones out there, I remember Tex Williams had a good band. Yeah. Uh, Spade Cooley, of yeah. course. Yeah. And I, I loved seeing his shows, and he had pretty girls on stage. And uh, my parents tell me when I was, you know, around six years old, uh, what when people would ask me, what are you going to be when you grow up? Well, I very didn't hesitate a beat. I said, I'm going to be a girl singer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought that was funny. It was like I, I would have a choice. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, See, I've already got the girl part down. I now I just got to get the, the singing girl. part. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, funny. Because they dressed pretty, yeah. in shiny clothes, and saying pretty so yeah, yeah yeah i understand that your dad was a musician and that you learned to to play piano and and guitar as a child you know with with his encouragement um so i know how you kind of fell in love with music and started playing music but um what can you tell me about the first song that you ever wrote i just remember that uh you know, I don't know why I was even trying to write a song, but I was in the ninth grade. Hmm. It seems, you know, I was in history or English class or something. I never liked to study. My mind was always designing a dress or <laughs> thinking about uh, things for my career. Yeah. But um, so I guess it was uh, only natural to try to write a s song and my country songs, <laughs> those first ones, I, you know, I don't think they were all that good, but I wound up recording those yeah. things, you know. <laughs> right, so right. everything I've ever written, I've recorded, yeah. or somebody has. So uh, let's see, I think it was, yeah, you'd be the first one to know. Yeah. I think... At that point, I'd had a boyfriend that uh, I I wore his ring, and I had to I wanted to break up with him, and I was going to have to give him his ring back. But I was thinking, you know, uh, I'm I'm glad I went to him first. Yeah. Because I would hate for him to have found out through some other means <laughs> right i thought i did that right anyway but it was <laughs> the hardest thing i ever did yeah yeah and uh, so you were in class just kind of <laughs> drown, yeah. drowning out the teacher and coming up with these lines in your right. in your notebook right. <laughs> I'd, I'd wind up all the time going to the pencil sharpener <laughs> right <laughs> so i could look out i always felt like when i was in school i was in jail <laughs> I went out of here. I went out there on, uh, beyond these windows. Right. <laughs> well, you, um, as you said, ended up uh, recording. You'd be the first one to know for Decca Records in 1954. He won't have to be told when our love grows cold. I think you'd know from the start. So we'll tell them. 
you know, there were not a lot of female country artists in in that day, really, female solo artists. Not um, a lot. Yeah, yeah. He wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did you manage to land a contract with Decca Records? Well, I had, uh, I'd been on this radio station in Oklahoma City that played one hour of country hillbilly songs, right. whatever. Um, so, but this man, Jay Davis, had an hour, and he was good enough to devote the last 15 minutes of his radio time to local talent. Mm. And so I got on that show pretty often. I, I had to try out for it. Yeah. And I didn't want to. I said, I can't sing well enough to be on the radio, but my friends at church dared me. Hmm. Well, now, a dare was one thing, but then they double-dog dared me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you've got to do it. You, you can't know, back down from to that. To save face. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So they went with me and uh, carried my guitar up the stairs and up to the radio station and auditioned and Jay said I could be on. And so it was through that little radio show, uh, I think Hank Thompson heard me. And now Hank was my favorite by this time. Yeah. There just wasn't anybody else. I bought all of his records, and his were just about all I played. Yeah. And I, I got through with the show, and guy comes in and said, uh, Wanda, there's a call for you, some some man. So I, I took it, and I just about fainted when he said, this is Hank Thompson. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was only about maybe 14. Wow. He said, I've been hearing about you, and today I listened. And uh, invited me to come down to the Trianon Ballroom that coming Saturday and to sing a couple of songs yeah. with his band. I said, oh, gee, Hank, I would love to, but I've got to ask my mother if <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> I can go. <laughs> and uh, he said, how old are you? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I told him, and he was shocked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Jay Davis wanted to go down with Mother and Daddy and me. So I had my little support group. Right, cheering section. Yeah, and you know, I <laughs> I really had some hard times. I, I'd forget my lyrics. Right. And it was, and I'd break meter <laughs> because I was used to playing a guitar and just singing by myself. Right. And so I had a lot to learn. Yeah. But it was fascinating that he was willing to let me make my mistakes right. and learn right. on his show. Yeah. <laughs> he had the number one band in the nation. Sure. And one hit right after the other. Yep. And yet he was concerned enough to help me. Yeah. So he took it upon himself. I went to his home and with his band cut a uh, demonstration record. He had uh, all uh, professional equipment at, at his home to right. record and so he took that demonstration record 
uh, along with uh, his band leader. He was trying to help him, too, yeah. Billy Gray, and uh, took it to Capitol. Well, Capitol wasn't interested, I guess, in Billy Gray, and they weren't interested in me. Hmm. Uh, Ken told Hank, Ken said, well, how old is she? And Hank told him about 15, 16. He said, no, I will not even consider signing her until she's 18, hmm. at least of age. Yeah. And, and he said, and besides, girls just don't sell records. Hmm. So Hank then, uh, still trying to get both of us a contract, talked with Decca Records. And uh, they heard our dub, and they, they were willing to sign us, yeah. sign us both. Yeah. And Hank had received a duet song for his publishing company, uh, by this time, and it was a real commercial song. I didn't want to record a duet, though. Yeah. So I kind of kicked at the pricks, you know, on that one. I didn't didn't want that. Right. But I wound up having to do it on my first session to please Hank. Right. And he thought I should. So yeah, yeah. Oh, and you got a top ten hit out of got it. Got a top ten, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're first decicides were cut in Hollywood in 1954 um, and you didn't um, record your first Nashville session until the following year in 1955 and that's I think the first time that you had had visited Nashville if I'm not mistaken yeah, yeah um, I want to ask you about a song that you cut at that first uh, Nashville session called uh, Tears at the Grand Ole Opry which is uh, credited to you and, and Howard Vokes so there'll be Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I got my name on it somehow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> by hook or crook. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, I'll record it if you'll give me half rider. <laughs> right. That was a pretty common thing back then, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but after I did it, I don't know, I never did really like it. The little idea, you know, was cute. Yeah. Uh but I wish I didn't have my name on that song. <laughs> I wish, <laughs> I wish for years I hadn't done that. Well, and I think that uh, there's an interesting twist of fate there because two days later you made your Grand Ole Opry debut, and I guess your Grand Ole Opry bow, your kind of one and only <laughs> appearance on on the Opry, and. Uh, if I understand right, there were some actual tears at the Grand Ole Opry. Tell there me was what happened there. On the stage, we're in Nashville, Daddy and I. I was dressed and backstage, uh, ready to go on because uh, I'd been told the lineup. Right. So I knew when to get ready. And I had my guitar on, was ready. And Ernest Tubb came around back behind the curtains and he said, uh, 
are you Wanda Jackson? And I said, yes. He said, okay, honey, um, you're next on the show, and I'll introduce you. I said, okay, I'm ready. And he said, oh, no, uh, my goodness, honey, you, you can't go on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry like that. And I didn't know what he was talking about. I said, like what? And he said, you can't show your shoulders. Hmm. <laughs> oh, my. And here I am from Oklahoma and work in California. And right. I could not believe it. <laughs> uh, and I, I designed and Mother had made me a special dress in red and white. And I had red and white cowboy boots and probably looked pretty cute, you know, <laughs> and the big right. guitar on. <laughs> And uh, he said, no, you can't go on like that. And I said, well, it's uh, the only thing I brought. I just wore it, you know. Yeah. He said, oh, you'll have to cover up if you're going to. So I said, well, okay. I'd worn a white uh, jacket with fringe on it. Yeah. I had to put that on and cover up my cute dress. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then when I got out there, people behind me they had uh, all the other acts and like Minnie Pearl and one of the other comedians they had the square dancers and everybody was just kidding and laughing and of course I called it upstaging yeah yeah that's what it was and they didn't know anything about that right so I didn't like that yeah I couldn't keep the attention of the audience when string bean and Minnie Pearl were acting, doing silly stuff. Right, right. Because they were funny. <laughs> yeah, right. So as soon as I, I was through, I walked off the stage, found Daddy. I said, Daddy, help me get my stuff rounded up. I'll never come back here again. And, uh, and I didn't. Yeah. They weren't ready for Elvis, and they weren't ready for Wanda Jackson. No, they weren't, even though I was singing pure country. Yeah. I knew the Grand Ole Opry scene was not what I wanted. Yeah, yeah. Well, your first real success as a songwriter came when another artist recorded one of your songs, and that was Bobby Lord, who was on Columbia Records and had a top 10 hit in 1956. Um, the song, of course, was Without Your Love, which you wrote by yourself. You told me that you loved me true, a happiness I never knew was mine. But then the rain began to fall, your love was never mine at all, and now good friends. He did um, the Ozark Jubilee as I was doing every, I'd get there every Saturday that I could. That was up in uh, Springfield, Missouri, Springfield, right? Springfield, Missouri yeah. with Red Foley. It was the first and the only at, in that period of time country show on television and right. it was national. Yeah. It was by, uh, ABC yeah. was yeah. showing it. So uh, they had a talent agency 
there called uh, Top Talent. Yeah. And they did bookings, and they'd have package shows. Right. But uh, it seemed like Bobby and I were, were touring together a lot, and we had a lot of fun. He was just crazy and funny, and uh, my daddy uh, had a good time with Bobby. Yeah. So we were all good friends. And on one of the trips, um, Bobby was talking about his song choices, that he didn't, he didn't like what he had, and he had a session coming up. Yeah. So I said, well, I tell you what, you, he, he had never written a song. And I said, if you will write me a song or a song for me, I'll write one for you, and I'll have it to you in time for your session if yeah. you like it. But he wrote me a good one, and uh, and I recorded it. Yeah. Uh, so that it was just a little challenge. Mine, I think, was a pretty good song. Yeah. yeah. He sang it good. Yeah, top ten hit. Yeah, I'm learning things <laughs> from <laughs> you, Scott. <laughs> That's good. I know who to call now. <laughs> Well, by 1956, um, you had switched from Decca Records over to Capitol, and your second Capitol session was a full embrace of rockabilly and rock and roll. Um, you kicked off that session with one of your original songs, Baby Loves Him. Well, the baby's a chick with the prop side hell. You can't say this babe is well. She likes her music with a solid beat. And when she starts to bop, you better go to your seat. Cause who baby's gone? Yes, she's gone all the way, all the way. And when baby fell, well, she really fell like I knew she would someday. What made you decide to take the plunge and dive into the male-dominated world of rock and roll? Well, I'd already jumped in to male-dominated uh, uh, career when I wanted to do country. Yeah. Because uh, I was about the third girl in country music to come along. I, I'm sure it was uh, confusing to Ken Nelson, hmm. who was Capitol Records, to me. Yeah. They had signed this girl to be a country singer. Right. But by that time, I had worked with Elvis quite a bit for close to a year. And he had talked me into trying hmm. this new kind of music. Yeah. And uh, to aim it at kids rather than just adult audiences yeah. with old love songs, you know. So I had rounded up some of those songs. Daddy and I talked it over and decided... Uh, Elvis was probably right. This was the new thing. Yeah. And I should get in on it. And Elvis had convinced me that I could sing this kind of music. Right. And I had no confidence at all that I could. But once I started singing those songs, I, I felt I'm at home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really did. I, I loved it. Yeah. And I still do. Well, uh, tell me about the first show that you ever played with with Elvis and what kind of impact because this was early you know early days uh, what kind of impact was he having on his his audience in that time 
Well, it was the starting of the girls all crowding the band, the stage, front of the stage. Yeah. And kind of screaming, a lot of screaming, come to think of it. <laughs> and uh, we met at a radio station. I, I didn't know who I was doing. It wasn't really a tour. It was just two dates. Uh-huh. So the first one was Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and the next one was in Arkansas. So in the afternoons, artists in those days always went to the radio station or right. called them and did a little interview and invite the folks out. You know? Right, right. So um, that's what we were doing. We went to the radio station, and, you know, I was kind of shocked he was dressed different, <laughs> uh, black slacks and a black shirt and a yellow <laughs> sport coat. Right. In, in 55, I'd never seen a yellow coat. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that's where we met. And, uh, you know, he was just kind of fascinating, uh, kind of like something so new, your jaw just kind of dropped. <laughs> yeah, right. But I, he was so handsome. I thought, boy, this this is going to be nice, you know, yeah. just work with a guy like that. I just thought he was probably a country singer yeah. that I hadn't heard of. So that night, uh, I went on first and uh, was in the dressing area uh, when Elvis went on. And Daddy and I heard all this screaming. It It kind of frightened us, and Daddy said, my gosh wonder if there's a fire. <laughs> he said, I'll go out and check, and you you kind of gather your stuff up here, get right. your stuff in your purse. And so I did that and got my coat on, and he came back in and kind of leaned against the wall and started laughing. He said, Wanda, you're not going to believe this. You <laughs> he said, come on, I'll show you. You got to see it for yourself, <laughs> and he took me to the edge of the stage there where I wasn't seen. Right, and we watched Elvis for the first time, and this guy was so different. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and had such a good voice. Yeah. I thought so. That was my introduction. <laughs> right to a new kind of music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah touring with Elvis and spending time with him and and I know he gave you his his ring at one point and asked you to be his girl and yeah, he did that. <laughs> you know yes. and, and I know you're I know you're working on your autobiography so uh, I, <laughs> I, I know our listeners will look forward to, to reading all the the great Elvis stories when that comes out next year yeah the book will will tell those occasions right right um, but you know Elvis did have that profound influence on kind of the direction of oh, yeah. got, got you into the into that rock and roll thing and so you started writing additional original rockabilly material including uh, cool love which was released as a single in 1957 uh mean mean man which was released as a single in 1958 and hit the top 40 in the uk at that time getting into that rockabilly genre was uh, unique for a female artist, but writing your own rockabilly songs was particularly pioneering. Um, what prompted you to, to write your own rockabilly material as opposed to just only doing other people's rockabilly stuff? 
Well, uh, it was out of necessity. Um, I I didn't have any choices in material. Um, I was having to do cover songs. Right. And I knew, you know, I I wouldn't have a hit uh, just copying uh, like Chuck Berry and yeah. Little Richard and Elvis. Yeah. Uh, the ones that I especially like. And so Daddy said, well, since we can't find any material, why don't you write some? And I thought he was crazy. You know, I said, <laughs> I, can't, I can't write these kind of songs. He said, well, I've listened to them, and they sound real simple to me. <laughs> Seems like you could write one real easy. <laughs> yeah. He said, uh, I even have an idea for one. So bless his heart, he, uh, he said, write, write one just about a, a mean boyfriend doing, doing something that, that you don't like, but you, but you think you love him you right, know, anyway. Right. I love a mean, mean man who lives uptown. When I want him most, he's not around. He's a mean, mean man. Oh, Lord, he's a mean, mean man. He's a mean, mean man, but I love him all I can. That got me started, and it, I realized this is pretty simple stuff. Yeah, yeah. I would just think up a little story in my mind and uh, settle on a title. Right. And then write the song. Hank had helped me learn structurally how to write a song. Right. And about rhyming, the different ways that you can rhyme. And uh, he taught me to, like, your first line at the end is A, and then you can go A-B or A-A, make those lines rhyme. Right. I don't know. It was, uh, I rose to the occasion. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Um, well, in 1995, uh, Rosie Flores recorded an album called Rockabilly Philly, which featured you duetting with her on a, a couple of songs, including one of your originals, Rock Your Baby. Rock your baby all night long. One of those songs that you had originally released back then as a, as a capital single in 1958. And there was another one of your original songs on the B side of that single, which was Sinful Heart. And I don't know this for a fact, but I would be willing to bet money that you were probably the first female artist to ever release a single with both sides written by that same oh, female artist. I mean, that was yeah. that's pretty that was pretty unheard of in that time. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that what Rosie was doing was really recognizing you as a as a groundbreaker and a, and a pioneer. You know, all those years later when she did her album, but at the time that you were making your rockabilly records in the fifties and writing these rockabilly songs. Did you think of yourself then as a as a trailblazer? No, I I didn't give it that much thought. No one was telling me that I was the first. 
So I didn't know that I was. <laughs> right. But I, I know Ken Nelson was, <laughs> uh, he, did, he didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> right. <laughs> he kept trying to get me back to country so, so they could pigeonhole me. Right. And know how to market. Right, right. You know, I, I see some complications now. <laughs> right. You kept them guessing. Because being the first, uh, they probably didn't know how to market me. Right, right. And they didn't do a very good job, I might <laughs> at what they tried to do. Right, right. Well, I mean, you have rightfully been heralded as a rockabilly pioneer in recent years. Um, but I think that uh, many people might not realize that you actually had more chart success in the country genre um, than you did in, in the rock field in terms of at that time. Um, and in 1961, you scored your biggest country and pop hit up to that point when right or wrong hit number 10 and number 29 respectively on the, on the country and, and the pop chart. Right or wrong, day by day. Tell me about how you came up with right or wrong. Well, I think it was at a point in my life where um, I was feeling very alone and like I'd already come to the decision I would probably never find anyone I'd never marry Hmm. and because I was moving too fast all the time. I couldn't get acquainted with anybody. Yeah. And uh, I was just feeling lonesome and I thought, well, I know one thing. When I fall in love with somebody, I've got to be really sure because I'll I'll be with them, right or wrong. I'll, I'm not divorcing. I right. didn't want that. So, right or wrong, just kind of, I just kind of burst. Yeah. That song. I didn't struggle over it. Even five minutes, it just poured out of me and. Um, I was sued over that song Uh later on, and they, the the people that sued me won. They were the publishers of a song that was very popular called Wake the Town and Tell the People. Hmm. And right or wrong, the whole first line of my song was note for note the same as that song. Hmm. And maybe it was because I was hearing it so much on the radio. Yeah, yeah. But when I put different words to it, it didn't sound the same to me. I didn't realize. Yeah, unintentional. Yeah, Yeah. a mistake. And the lawyer for uh, our publishing company called me and talked with me and asked me some questions. (laughs) And he said, we can't let this go to trial because I'd have to get you on the stand and you're just too honest. (laughs) (laughs) You weren't helping your own case. (laughs) I wasn't helping myself at all. But when you uh, wrote that song initially, you had uh, thoughts that perhaps uh, another artist might might do it, didn't you? Um, I I usually like to have some artist in mind, so I had some direction. 
for an idea for a song, and then who would I think would sing this? And then I could start writing. And this one was meant for Brenda Lee. Hmm. So it was, it was written in this new country style where you could have the, the vocal chorus behind you and you could have fiddles, an acre of fiddles if you right. wanted it. <laughs> and uh, it would be a, an easy song to score. Yeah. And that's why it was a crossover song. But I, I was going to send it to Brenda and I didn't really know how to send one to her. We, we were friends. Uh, we'd worked together on the Jubilee. Right. And did some tours. Well, I, I needed a song at a session. And Ken said, have, have you written anything? I said, well, yeah, I've got one song. Let me hear it, he said. So I did and told him I was going to send it to Brenda Lee. He said, no, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you're doing that uh, tomorrow night or whatever. Right, the, right. But we were in a, doing sessions. Right. So uh, <laughs> Brenda Lee never got to hear it. <laughs> I, des- I decided Ken was right. She'd had more hits than I had. <laughs> right. You're going to hold on to that one. So if, if we thought it would be a hit, yeah, yeah. I'd better do it. Well, after that, Capitol released uh, another one of your original songs, Little Charm Bracelet, as a single in 1961. Um, but it was yet another one of your originals that same year that would become your highest charting single of all time on both the pop and country charts. And I'm talking, of course, about uh, In the Middle of a Heartache, which was uh, number six country, number 27 pop. Um, that's a song that is credited to you and a, and a couple of co-writers um, and it's one that you recorded two different times. You had done it once in a pretty traditional country style. I'm in the middle of a heartache Part old, part new Not too much in love with him Not quite out of love with you um, But then the one that was released was more kind of that pop influenced right or wrong. This is kind of the era of Patsy Cline and and that sort yeah. of new direction in in country music. I'm in the middle of a heartache, halfway, half blue. Can't give all my love to him when I'm still in love with you. I would get songs uh, sent to me through the mail. And so we got a package with a lady's songs. They were in sheet music form. And I usually didn't didn't like to have to do that. I liked to dub. Right, you know. right, hear the tape. Yeah. But I, I glanced through the titles, and I said, Daddy, there's there's nothing here. Just mail it back. So it was just laying in a stack, and before Daddy sent it back, he looked through it, and he brought that piece of sheet music to me. He said, this, this is interesting song. Yeah. He said, pick it out on the piano. Let's hear what the melody is. And I did, and, and gosh, that the melody was so pretty. Yeah. So we decided I, I better hang on to that. 
So I did it for Hank, and um, he said, well, that is such a great idea, but it needs to be stronger. It needs to be structured. The, yeah. Her writing, she was new. Yeah, just, yeah. She just wrote, you know. So he and Billy Gray, they started straightening it out, and then they brought me in, and we kind of finished the song, all of us together. Yeah. And um, so that was interesting. I'd never tried to write with anybody else. Right, right. And uh, I quit singing it somewhere along the way, and I I don't really know why. It was well-known enough, you yeah. know, to be recognized as Wanda Jackson's yeah. song. Yeah. Um, Maybe it's time to bring it back. But I don't know. My shows uh, these days are for the young adult rockabilly fans, the yeah, ones that yeah. are, are all for these rock songs. All the rock stuff, yeah. So I had to take that out to make room for right. Fun Love Love or something. Right. So I want to ask you about your song, Kicking Our Hearts Around. Um, that was a big hit at the end of 1962, top 10 country single, but it was not a hit for Wanda Jackson. It was a hit for Buck Owens, who very often wrote his own material. So I'd love to hear uh, about how you wrote that song and how Buck ended up doing it. It was during, I'm thinking, the DJ convention in Nashville. Norma Jean was living in Nashville, but we wanted to be together, so uh, she was staying with me at the hotel. Right. And uh, as usual, she had a date, <laughs> and I didn't for that evening. I, I was just looking, reading my movie magazine, and saw the this title. Uh, Joan Collins or somebody had said, I just told him, we've got to stop kicking our hearts around. We're just uh, hurting each other or something. Man, what a title. Mm. So I got my trusty guitar out and pen and paper and started writing. And uh, it's a cute song. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I think I mentioned earlier, I like to have an artist in mind. And for some reason... I thought, Buck Owens, I'm going to make it nice and simple in a, a clean sort of way so that uh, Buck Owens will like it. So that's what I did. And I had a tour with him or a show of some sort not long after that. And I told him I had uh, written a song for him. So I played it for him like backstage or in the dressing room and gave him the lyrics while I sang it and he really liked it. He said, yeah, I want to record that. So I think I, when I got home I made a dub yeah. of some sort of tape or whatever we were using and sent it to him. And then after Wendell and I were married, all this was taking place in kind of a short period of time. So we were married and living in our first little house. So he was washing a car and had the radio on, and he heard that, and he hollered at me in the kitchen, Wanda, come here, I think this is your song. Mm. 
And so I opened the kitchen door to go out in the garage, and sure enough, it was my song. Just thrilled me to death to have somebody in mind and have them sing it exactly the way you wrote it. He didn't change a, a line or a melody at all. Oh, let's stop picking each other's hearts around. It's not the thing to do. Let's pick them up, dust them off, and start our love anew. Let's be fire and let's don't dare to try to hurt the other. Let's stop kicking our hearts around and let's love one another. Well, you mentioned uh, Wendell, your husband, who is also your manager and has been your partner in all things life and business for the last 55 plus years. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, once he came into your life and kind of began taking over some of those uh, management duties, you guys really kind of became a team and you were on the road all the time or in the studio. I mean, you're... Your lives together became. What's our life? You were two. Yeah, it was two parts of a whole. You were sort of the the. He was the business, and you were the entertainment, right. and and you guys were were really a, a team and a, a neat couple who it, you know. It just worked so beautifully for yeah, us. Yeah. We said we felt like we'd always been married. It right, was just right. So natural of a thing, cause, yeah. And we were very much in love and. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, in 1962, you uh, released a single called I Misunderstood, which was credited to you and, and Wendell. And then the follow-up single to I Misunderstood was uh, a song called The Greatest Actor, which you did not write. But the, the B-side of that song was uh, You Bug Me Bad, which was a song that you oh, wrote I solo. Oh, about that one, too. <laughs> but I'm curious because You Bug Me Bad was recorded in, in April of 1962, um, but you did not release another one of your original self-written songs until 1969. And after having had so much success with your original material, you know, in 1961 in particular, you had a lot of success with your original songs. Why did you step away from from songwriting or at least from recording songs that you had written uh, for mm-hmm. so many years? Good question. Um it it wasn't something that that I did purposely. Mm-hmm. As you were t- asking the question, I, I was thinking, why did that happen? And I believe it was because uh, I'd gained enough recognition uh, that the good songwriters, the Nashville people, yeah, were wanting me to do their songs, hmm. and so I had better selections. And of course, that thrilled me. Sure, that it it just happened. I guess right. I stopped writing because I had good material to to choose from. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that the demands of being an artist and being a star, and you had two children in that same time period, and life was probably a bit of a, a treadmill. It probably became more difficult to uh, to find the time. The to write time about. and the space. Yeah. Yeah, to write. I always wanted to be totally alone, mm. and I'd, I'd use the piano mostly to write. So, you know, I have written songs on the road. Yeah. But um, 
it's always better if I'm home with the piano all by myself. Yeah. Well, I think probably the last original song that you released during your Capitol years was uh, My Testimony, which was included on your only gospel album for that label, uh, Praise the Lord, which was released in, in 1972. And that was a very different direction than the growling, sexy, rockabilly, fireball version of Wanda Jackson from the 1950s. Um, but I'm guessing that it, it might have also been one of the most personal songs uh, that you ever wrote. Well, I could walk, I had to run to meet my Lord. He's been patiently waiting at my door. Jesus wanted me free from sin. The devil in me wouldn't let him in. But I finally couldn't walk, I had to run to meet my Lord. Yeah, you, you said it right there, the most personal one. After I gave my heart and life to Christ, I was very zealous. Right. <laughs> and uh, to the point of annoying people, probably. <laughs> but, oh, I was so so happy at what I had found, the, the peace. And I thought, I want to tell how I felt when I finally let go of my life and but yeah, I wanted to to tell that. And so the the song was written and it's one of the most unusually written songs I think I've done. Yeah, it's a neat song. It kind of almost has that uh it almost feels like an older song, like it's a, that yeah. traditional gospel. Uh, you know, yeah, well, yeah. Thank you. In 1971, you threw yourself wholeheartedly into the gospel field and you didn't return to your rock and roots so much until the mid 1980s and and even more so in the 1990s when people like Rosie Flores and Dave Alvin and Elvis Costello and and other artists began reminding people what an important pioneer you were um and you're that was my first knowledge of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> news to you huh that I was <laughs> <laughs> but your uh your comeback album uh Heart Trouble, at least your U.S. comeback album, Heart Trouble, came out in, in 2003. And in 2011, uh, Jack White produced The Party Ain't Over, which brought you to the attention of, of a whole new crowd. Um, you've had this this career resurgence in, in recent years that's really neat to watch. And, and even though your recent material is is great, the, those albums are great and you even told me that the Jack White album is one of your favorite albums you've ever done to my mind there's only one problem with those albums and it's that there are not any Wanda Jackson originals on there and I'm I'm curious uh, are you still writing and can we expect to to hear any new Wanda Jackson songs in the future I haven't been writing the last 20 years or so uh if I did, I didn't sing it for anybody. <laughs> I didn't think it was very good, but um, I think in my latter years here, I've gotten lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't record as much. Right. You know. But in my head, I'm always trying to think of song titles. Mm. And... Uh, I can be driving and write a whole verse and half a chorus or something. Yeah. So 
it's always like bugging me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, hey, that, that might be a song. You ought to try it. Yeah. My granddaughter is in Nashville as my publicist, and that little squirt is working me to death. <laughs> she, she said, uh, she called me, and I don't think I've told you, but my grandkids call me Ma, and so uh, I never thought I would like to be called Ma, but it sounds awful sweet when they say it. <laughs> so um, she said, Ma, I've set up some co-writes for you. I, I said, Jordan, I, I've never written with someone, uh, ver or not very much. She said, well, that's the way they do it these days. I was kind of frightened. I thought, my gosh, I don't know what I'm getting into here. Right, right. <laughs> but it was a wonderful experience. And the first song that uh, there was three of us, mm -hmm. two other girls and myself, and they were both, they are both writers. And uh, and they're doing the, the songs that are currently popular right, right now. And so I was just talking with the girls, and like, like we're talking. And I said, "Well, I've, I've got this reputation of being kind of wild or strong, woman." And I said, "But I was always a lady. I was taught, you know, you can break away and, and do some kind of crazy stuff, but you stay a lady yeah, about yeah. it." So, consequently, treat me like a lady. And the, the song is, it, it talks about just exactly what I just said. And uh, so I've, I've done uh, three co-writes already. So at the age of 78, you're kind of launching this new adventure as a uh, Nashville-style songwriter, which is cool to hear about. And I understand you're also getting ready to uh, make another album. Uh, who are you going to be working with on that? Well, this will, is a shocker probably, but I'm thrilled to um, work with Joan Jett. Oh, neat. Yeah. And, um, of course, she tells me I was influential yeah. in her style and her desire to, to sing. So I and we have a lot in common, just being girl rockers, you yeah, know, and, and yeah. she's a real one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just kind of started it. She she took it from there. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to, she'll be uh, producing yeah. this well, album. I know that uh, I'm looking forward to hearing it. I know our listeners are looking forward to hearing it, and I'm just going to put in a, a little plea from on behalf of, of all of our Songcraft listeners that we're hoping to maybe we'll get a, a little surprise and get some Wanda Jackson okay. original songs on that album. So you you, oh. you think about that and maybe you can uh, come up with a, a, a new one for us to hear. I hadn't, no one had asked me all right. for one. So thank you for the challenge. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll see. All right, great. Well, Wanda, thank you so much for your years of, your, of music and, and just for your graciousness and uh, sharing time with us today. It's really been a, an honor and a pleasure. Well, it's been a, a pleasure for me, Scott. And uh, I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
I'd forgotten all these songs that made the top 10 and right. the top 40. Yeah. We'll have to do this more often. Indeed. I hope we do. I hope we do. But thank you very much. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about our guests, stream episodes, get a sneak peek at upcoming interviews, or to contact us with your feedback, visit songcraftshow.com. While you're there, sign up for our mailing list so you can stay up to date with everything that's happening in the Songcraft universe. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash songcraftshow. And if you enjoy what we're doing here at Songcraft, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review on iTunes, which truly helps potential listeners discover these conversations. And we look forward to getting together with you again for the next episode of Songcraft.